Well, good morning. Hey, it's an honor to, uh, to be able to preach God's Word here today at Better Life Church. My name is Matthew Mofield. My wife, Sarah, and my family, we have been a part of Better Life Church now for two and a half years. And we love many things about our church, but one of the things that we, that we love is the regional focus that our church has. And I want to just uh, give a shout out to those in Grayson today. My wife is from Grayson and her family, and so we have a special place in our heart for Grayson. And we're just thrilled to see what God is already doing and doing there. God called us to Eastern Kentucky. We, we feel called to this region. And specifically, God called us to be a part of a collegiate ministry called Baptist Campus Ministry at Moorhead State. Are there any BCM or, or say, BSU uh, alumni in the house or maybe current students? Okay, I see several, several hands. Uh, some of you GSP guys, uh, find your local BSU. I see you. I see you there. All right, so, um, so that's what we're here. We, we work with college students uh, on the campus of Moorhead State. And uh, God has allowed us to see great fruit from that and uh, just continue to pray for that ministry, but uh, just, to, just enjoy what God is doing there. This, this series called Hymns is special to me. I grew up singing hymns, probably like many of you. I also grew up doing something with a hymn book that maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but we did this thing called hymn book races. I don't know, maybe you've never heard of this, but so I would sit, I grabbed the hymn book and I would find the, in the contents, I would find the title of a hymn and then my buddy sitting next to me, he would grab a hymn book and I'd say, okay, go find Amazing Grace. And without looking at the table of contents, he would flip through and try to find it as fast as he could. And that was what, that's not what we did every Sunday. Okay, don't judge me, but that, we did that a few times. Uh, that was one of the things that we did, but I love hymns. And I love the, the focus that hymns give us to, to put our eyes, fix our eyes on, on our Creator. Did you know that you are a worshiper? That you and I were created to worship. Now, we were created to worship God. We were created to worship Christ. Many times, we fail in that. We, we give our worship to created things instead of our Creator. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But again, what I love about hymns and why I chose the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, is because of its focus on God. It puts our focus on God. Um, and so I was, I was thinking about this hymn, and I did a little bit of research on it. We're not going to spend much time there. Um, but the, the hymn, like many of the old hymns, was originally a poem. It was written by a 6th century a saint of the Roman Catholic Church named Dallin Forgale. And Dallin is actually this guy's nickname. And I thought it was interesting that he was given this nickname, and the nickname means little blind one. And so the story goes that when he was a fairly young man, he went blind because he, was, he studied so intensively. He was so focused on his study, study of God's Word and study of, of books and things like that, that he went blind. Now, I don't know, I mean, you guys are probably some of the smartest kids around, but... Did they warn you when you got to GSP that if you studied so intensively, you would go blind? They probably didn't mention that. I've never met a college student that went blind from studying so hard, and I certainly didn't have to worry about that either. Um, but this guy did. Later, the, the, the poem was translated by a lady named Mary Byrne into English, and then Eleanor Hull put it into uh, the verses and put the melody to it that we sing today. But there's so much in the hymn that we can talk about. But again, I want to highlight just this, the reoccurring phrases that we, 
that we sung in, the, in that hymn, Be Thou My Vision. He says, Be Thou My Vision, Be Thou My Wisdom, Be Thou My Battle Shield, Be Thou My Dignity. He talks about how Thou art my great Father, I thy true Son. Thou art my delight. Thou and Thou only are my treasure, my victory, and my inheritance. In my, in my inheritance. And so what I love about it, again, is that the, the, the crux of the hymn and the point of this message today is, is in those phrases, be thou, because thou is not me, thou is God. And so our focus, the hymnist is proclaiming that God and God alone must be all these things to him, his, his wisdom, his vision, his focus. You see, the right view of God leads us to worship God and not ourselves and created things. Again, that's what we were made for, to worship Him and Him alone. And it's so vital for us as, if, as a Christian to have a God-focused life, a God-centered life that leads me to worship Him and Him alone. But the struggle, of course, is that we're all sinners. We're, we've fallen and, and into sin, and our, our reaction, our uh, many times what we do is we want to be our vision, right? We want to be uh, our own wisdom. We want to be the ones who lead and not God. And so many times when we lose our vision of, of God, we lose our sight of Christ and who he truly is, our, our worship shifts, our focus shifts from God and it, and it comes back to us. And then we begin to worship ourselves and created things and we become overwhelmed and blinded by lies of the world we begin to pursue lives that show that we care more about building our kingdom here than building Christ's kingdom eternally and so something that I'm learning and if you're a note taker like me you might want to jot these down I, these fall out of my bible all the time because I've jotted notes down through the sermons but one thing I'm learning is that if I live my life with myself as the focus I will seek to self-protect, self-indulge, and I will live a self-powered life, basically. But when I live with Christ as the focus, I will seek to live sacrificially. I will give extravagantly for the gospel's sake, and my life will be powered by the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but that's the life that I want to live. That's the life that, that we're called to live as believers. So as we jump into this today, I want you to think about a few questions. The first one is this, does my life reflect that Christ is at the center and focus of my worship? Is he my vision or does it really show that I've placed myself at the center and focus of my worship or created things at the center and focus of my worship? And how do I know if I've done that? How do I know if I've done that and what do I do about it? if I have. Those are the things we're going to look at today. And so as we jump into this, I'm going to, to pause and just pray that God would speak to us, and then we're going to, uh, to dive in. So would you pray with me? Father, we need you so desperately. And right now, I pray that in these moments we have, God, that you would open up our hearts to your truth. Give us vision to see you for who you are. Give us vision to see the world the way you see it, so that we live lives that glorify you and further your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would move in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, this is a one-point sermon. It's a one-point sermon, but I have three application points at the end. So, uh, you know, that's just how, it, how it's going to be. But the first uh, and only point of our sermon is my worship follows my vision. That's really what I want us to, to get today. And the hymn here, Be Thou My Vision, as we sing the first stanza of it, we see that the hymnist is, is saying and we are saying and proclaiming that we are asking Jesus to be our vision. So we need to see Jesus clearly in order to worship Jesus for who he is. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Other translations say where there is no revelation or where there is no prophetic revelation. But it basically means this, that where there is ignorance of God, there's chaos, there's confusion. Ultimately, there's, there's sin and death. But the reality is we were never meant to live apart from our Creator. We were never meant to live lives the way we live them now, which is separated from God. Did you know that? We were created to live in communion with God for all time. But what happened was sin entered the picture, right? And, and all that was broken and severed. But now we're trying to figure out how to do it. We're trying to figure out life apart from our creator. And, and we were never meant to live that way. And so a person who doesn't know God, who doesn't have a relationship with God through Jesus, who hasn't seen Jesus for who he truly is, is bound to live a life that is self-centered, self-focused, ultimately ruled by sin and leads to death. And you might say, well, you know, hold up just a minute. Can, can they be a nice person and not know Jesus? Yes. Can they do good things and be uh, impactful in a community if they don't know Jesus? Yes. But the Bible declares that their efforts and ultimately their lives are lived in vain because everything in this life is passing away. It's all temporal, but the eternal is what we're living for. We are to be about the Father's business, glorifying His name and building His kingdom and not our own. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, how then do I get a glimpse of Jesus? How do I get a vision of Jesus that will lead me to worship Him the way I was created to worship Him? Well, the second part of that verse gives us a, the answer. Proverbs 29, 18, it says, But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. By law, it's referring to, to God's word. To God's word. That we see God most clearly when we look to his word because he has revealed to us himself through his word. And the clearest understanding that God has given us in his word of himself that should lead us to worship is the picture of his son and the gospel of Jesus and what he has done. So I want us to look at that this morning. If you have a copy of scripture, you can turn it with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll also have it on the screen for you to follow. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10 together. Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul writes here to Ephesian believers in his day, but also to us today, and he is declaring some pretty powerful truths here. The first thing that we see here is that apart from Christ, we are not just pretty good people who have done some bad things. We're not just wounded people who need God kind of like a soldier who's wounded needs a medic to come and patch him or her up in the, in the battlefield so he can get back out there and keep going. That's not, that's not the, the reality. We're not even really, really bad people according to Scripture. The Bible says and, and declares right here that we are dead people spiritually. That we're spiritually dead, incapable of godly living apart from Christ, that we are slaves to our sin and ultimately our sin is going to lead us down a path that we don't want to go and lead us to worship things that we should never worship. See, here's a great fallacy that our culture and sometimes even our Christian culture uh, would, would have us to believe is that our sin is not that bad. That we minimize our sin and we kind of say, you know, we're pretty good people our sin is not that bad, but what that leads us to believe is that we don't need a Savior. We don't need Christ. But the reality is, and this is terrible news, and I'm sorry to be the bearer of the bad news today. We'll get to the good news in a moment. But we're so much worse than we think we are. We're so much worse than we think we are. The Bible declares that we are dead spiritually apart from Christ. And it's only when you understand how how dead you are, how separated you are, how hopeless you are apart from Christ, that you see the beauty and how amazing it is in the gospel that Jesus actually can do something about that and change you. And we're going to get to that right here because in verse 4 comes some of the sweetest words in all of Scripture, but God. He says, but God. God being rich in mercy because of the great love which He had loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Not by works, but by grace. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news, church? If God took action, he chose to reveal himself to us. Christ left the throne of heaven. He willingly came. The Bible says in Hebrews that he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of, 
of the Father. You see, this is, this is the, the good news that when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, Jesus made us alive in him. He took our sin, he took our punishment, he died our death, and then he offers us life because he's rich in mercy. He's rich in grace. He, Jesus came, he took action, he took on flesh. He saw we were hopeless apart from him and he came. He lived the life that you and I couldn't live. He, he sacrificially took your place and died on that cross. But then death couldn't hold him, the grave couldn't keep him. So three days later he got up. And that is the vision of God that we all need because that vision is the, the vision that changes our hearts. It's the only thing that can take a dead heart and turn it into a live one. It's the only thing that can change us and that can reconcile us to God. So for some of you here today, you need to rejoice in the gospel that you just heard and your response to the gospel is repentance. To say, Jesus, I believe, I see the depths of my sin and I know that I don't have a solution. I need you, please save me. And then turn and begin to follow him. You see, it's not just good news. This is the greatest news uh, that you'll ever hear because it makes us, takes us from dead people and turns us into, gives us new life. You see, your vision, your vision of Jesus will lead you to worship. I promise when you experience the gospel like that, you will worship him. It will lead your heart to worship him for who he truly is. So if you don't know Jesus today, then that's the vision you need of him right there uh, in the gospel. And for the Christian this morning, myself included, maybe, maybe you've responded to the gospel message. You've repented of your sin and you've asked Jesus to save you, but throughout the years and the days and the months, it seems like, your vision of Jesus and the gospel are cloudy at best. Feels like you're, you're losing your way. Maybe you don't feel as close to God as you once did. Or maybe you made some choices that took you down a path that took you much farther than you wanted to go. Or maybe life just got busy and hectic and you, you lost your focus on Christ. You began kind of chasing the American dream and you've realized that it actually didn't fulfill the way you thought it would. That happens happens quickly our hearts are so fickle and we we give our worship to created things so easily in his book a hidden wholeness a man named parker palmer tells a story about how in in the northern midwest and in canada that blizzards can happen almost instantly can come quickly without warning and they're so violent and so extreme that if you stood out in it you would hold your hand up and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face and so, farmers in that area, knowing that they still have to tend to their livestock in, in the barns, they would, they would take a, a rope, a long rope, and they would tie the rope to the back door, and they would then take that rope and tie it to the front door of their barn. That way, when the blizzard came and they had to get out, they could grab hold of that rope, and that rope would lead them to the barn to do their work and then back safely home. Um, but many did not heed that warning and, and do that. And stories uh, go that many of, of the farmers that didn't do that actually froze to death. They were so disoriented by the storm that they were literally walking circles in their, in their backyard, feet from being safe in their homes, and they froze 
to death because they didn't have a rope. They didn't have a lifeline showing them the way. You see, life is like that many times. Life is a blizzard at times. Blinds, it, it blinds our vision to what is real and what is true. It disorients us so that we can't discern the right way to go. We become so overloaded, our senses. Imagine being in a blizzard. You know, you're just so overwhelmed, your senses. You can't see, you can't hear. All you can pay attention to is the storm swirling around you. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there now. It just feels like a blizzard. And many of us try to navigate that blizzard without a rope. Or we're clinging to the wrong rope. And in the whiteout of, of life, many of us, have, we've lost our way spiritually because we've stopped clinging to Christ and we've latched onto something else or we've just dropped the rope completely. You see, the vision that we all need is twofold. We need to see Jesus for who he is. We see him clearly through the gospel like we just talked about. And we need to praise him for that. But then also, once we're changed, once we have been given new life in Christ, then he becomes the lens through which we see everything else. Meaning he gives us vision to see the world as he sees it. He gives us vision to see others as he sees others. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. It's a very famous quote. Says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. See, that's what Christ does, is he gives us vision to see the world and to see everything as he as he sees it. And so as Christians, we're given these eyes, these spiritual realities come to life that are unseen to lost people. And so Jesus becomes the rope that we, that we cling to that guides us through the blizzard of life. So our worldview becomes a biblical worldview and we're given wisdom from the Holy Spirit to discern truth and lies. And when we face trials, when the blizzard comes, because it always comes, the persecution, the suffering, we know we have a living hope in Christ. And if we're clinging to him, even though we might be disoriented, we can't hear, we can't see, we don't know where we're going. He's no, he knows where we're going, and he's going to get us safely home. A great example of this comes from uh, the book of Acts in chapter 9, the story of Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. If you want to flip over to Acts chapter 9. But the Apostle Paul, who was then Saul, he's on the road to Damascus, and he's going there with a specific purpose to find Christians and to haul them off to jail. And Jesus literally appears to him on the road and calls him out for persecuting his church. And not only that, then he, he makes Saul blind for three days. Then the Lord sends a man named Ananias to Saul to lay hands on him and pray for him. Now Ananias is not too excited about this, this job because he knows Saul. He's heard his reputation. He knows he's coming there to, to harm Christians. And so... He's a little hesitant, but he ends up going. And we pick up in verse 17 of Acts chapter 9. It says, So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell off his eyes. And he regained his sight. 
Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul's story is amazing and powerful. Saul had a vision of what he thought his life should look like. This was not a guy aimlessly wandering through life. He had a clear direction and he knew what his task was. But the problem was, it was the wrong path, right? He had a rope to guide him, but unfortunately he was clinging to the wrong rope. He was clinging to the rope of, of religion and, and works-based salvation. And he thought, if I will earn God's favor if I'm just righteous enough, zealous enough, put enough Christians in jail, that's gonna be what gets me to heaven and earns me God's favor. You see, Saul was actually blinded. He was blinded to the truth, but what happened was Jesus met him. He saw a vision, a clear picture of Jesus. He met him. He saw him face to face. And then Jesus literally blinded him for three days. But what happened was when he saw Jesus in all his, his glory, and then Ananias came and he prayed and the scales fell off. When he got that new sight, he was a different person. Verse 20 says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. In the very synagogues that he would have went and preached against Christians, he went and preached that Jesus was the Messiah instantly. He was given a new vision. God changed his life. And look at this. His vision led him to worship Jesus and proclaim that Jesus was the Savior. You see, his worship followed his vision. When he saw Jesus, then he worshiped Jesus. That's how it works. Saul's original rope was inadequate. So he dropped it. He saw that this was not the path. This was not the rope he needed to be clinging to. So he dropped it and then he clung to Jesus. And Jesus came in and gave him new life and a new vision. Some of you today, you're clinging to the wrong rope. Like Saul, you've, you've clung and latched on to the wrong rope. Maybe for some of you, it's school and education. And you feel like, man, the more schooling I get, the more degrees I can get, the more enlightened I'll become, the more truth I know, and then I'm going to know exactly how to navigate my life. That's what it's going to take. But what happens when the degree doesn't get you the dream job, or maybe it does get you the dream job, and you live that for a while, and then you realize it still doesn't fulfill that longing in your heart that you need, that only Christ can fulfill. And then you realize in spite of all the knowledge you've, you've amassed, you're still searching for the real meaning and purpose in life. And then one day, when you stand before God and He asks you, why should I let you into heaven? Is your response going to be, because I have MBA after my name. I have PhD after my name. I've amassed all this knowledge. God, let me in. Maybe for others, it's work and career. That's the rope that you've clung to. 
And you think the harder I can work, the more money I can make, I'll get the lifestyle that I need and then, and then I'll have created purpose and meaning in my life and I'll live the life I'm supposed to live. But what happens when you lose the job that makes you all that money? Or the economy takes a downturn and your company downsizes and shifts some things and then you no longer have the income to live the lifestyle that you've uh, put so much stock in. Will you stand before God and, and present him with a check from the proceeds from all you've amassed while you're here on earth and say, God, will this be enough? This is what I thought life was all about. Please accept this and let me in. And maybe for others, it's, it's family. It's our kids. We, we think if I cling to my family and, and my kids above all else, if I pour myself into them, then my life will stay on track and will always be close and will always be supportive. That's the life that I meant to live. But what happens when you lose that family member, one of those family members that you have put so much, so much uh, emphasis on being your purpose? Or when addiction busts into your family like a, a roaring lion and devours the harmony that was once there? Will the strength and closeness of your family be what you point to? when God takes you out of this world. Now let me be clear. Those things I just mentioned are not bad things. As a matter of fact, they're good things. Good gifts of God, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. They are good things, but they are not worthy of worship. They are not worthy of worship. Exodus 20, verse, uh, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. What does that say? Only God and God alone is worthy of worship. The giver of those gifts. Those gifts shouldn't lead us to worship the gifts. They should lead us to worship the giver, the creator, the one that gave us the family, the one that gave us the job, the one that, that set us up to have an education. That should lead us all the more to worship God. You see, when we cling to the wrong ropes, we worship the wrong things. Jesus and the gospel must be our rope. It, he must be our vision, the one that we worship exclusively. And then he gives us vision through the blizzard when it blinds us. He gives us direction when we can't see the right way to go. He gives us hope to make it safely home. And we got to realize that this is not our home that we are passing through sojourners on our way to be with the God who created us to be with Him. And we'll always long for that as long as we're here. So my worship follows my vision. So practically speaking, how then do I do this? How, how, do, I, how do I create a life where Christ is the focus and I'm giving my worship to Him? I've got three Application points, they all start with S because I'm a Baptist and that's how we roll, okay? So the first one is this, Scripture. First application is Scripture. You meet with God every day in His Word. And you think of it like that. I'm meeting with God. I'm not picking up a book to read it because this isn't just any book. God speaks through his word, and we're going to meet with him every day. That verse again, Proverbs 29, 18, says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy 
is he. Well, how do we keep the law? How do we know God's word? We've got to, to be in God's word, meet with him in his word. You know, it's great to listen to great preaching. And we are blessed to have Pastor Daniel and other great preachers here uh, at Better Life Church. But listening to a great sermon or a solid podcast or even reading a good Christian book does not take the place of time spent with God in his word. Nothing replaces time spent in God's word. There's no substitute for that. So a couple just suggestions. Start small, maybe five minutes a day. If, if this is not something that you do, then start small, five minutes a day. Maybe start in the Psalms. We're doing this series on hymns. The entire book of Psalms are essentially hymns, poems that lead our heart to worship, that give us a vision of God for who He is. I love reading Psalms, especially in the summertime. Summer in the Psalms, I love doing that. Maybe that's what you could do. Pick up a Psalm and you could read a Psalm in about five minutes. And then I recommend get a study Bible. That's one of the things, especially at BCM, that I encourage all of our college students to do. If you're gonna study the Word, be a student of the Word, then get a study Bible. It's very helpful to give you context and, and help you understand the Word. Steve Shadrach, said in, in a book I read recently, he said, if you will focus on growing deep roots, then God will produce the fruit. We meet God in his word and he begins to grow deep roots. Not only that, he begins to give us a vision for who he is and how to see the world. The second one is this, Sabbath. This is like a profanity in the American culture. Sabbath. For some of you here this morning, the thing you need to hear most is stop and rest. Stop and rest. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and, and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Why did God rest on the, Sabbath, on, the Sabbath, on the seventh day and made it a Sabbath? Was he tired? Was he so exhausted from his creation that he needed to rest? No. God didn't need to rest. He was showing us, giving us an example, knowing that we would need to rest, clearly showing us that we would need to rest and also to keep him in the proper place in our lives. Later on in Exodus, God said that any of the Israelites who broke the Sabbath should be put to death. Why? Because what God knew was that if they weren't willing to stop their work for one day a week and rest, then they weren't trusting that God was going to fully provide for all their needs. You see, they were believing that it all depended on them. And they were placing and putting themselves in the place of God. That is idolatry. And so he was protecting their hearts. He was wanting their worship to stay focused on him. And so they would realize that everything, not just on the seventh day came from God, but all the days of the week. You realize that, right? 
God just doesn't provide for us on the Sabbath. He provides for us every single day of the week. But on the Sabbath, he says, I want you to rest in me and realize, reflect, refocus, and realize I'm providing all this. Worship me. You'll still have food to eat. You'll still have clothes on your back. Some of you here this morning, you're burning it at both ends seven days a week. And what it says about you is you don't fully trust God to meet your needs and sustain you. You think it all depends on you. I got to work harder. I got to put in more hours. And God's saying, you need a day of rest. You need to stop. You need to refocus on me. Let me fill you back up. Choose a day where you can do that, where you can fill back up and rejuvenate your soul. Sabbath. The third thing is this. Service. One of the things that I love about our church is just how many amazing people serve here. They serve not out of obligation, but out of a heart to glorify God, out of a heart to see other people know, know Jesus. I've had the privilege just for the, the short period of time of a few months to serve with our, our kids ministry and to see the kids volunteers and the, the heart that they have to see the kids come to Christ is amazing. You see, you and I are never more like Jesus than when we serve others. Mark 10, 45 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. For some of you, you need to, you need to get in the Scripture. Allow God to meet you there. You need to Sabbath, and then you need to serve. Allow God to use you. Be poured out and and if God's calling you to that, then I would encourage you to, to go to the Red Room when we finish and talk to one of our volunteers and let them help you get plugged in somewhere to serve. See, our worship follows our vision. Is Christ your vision this morning? Is Jesus your vision, the object of your worship? the center of your life, the purpose of your lifestyle? Is He your Savior? For some here this morning, the proper response to the message that you heard today is, is, is the same prayer we see in Luke 18, which says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, that's, that's all it takes. A heart that is ready to say, Lord, I can't save myself. I need you desperately. Please come in and save me. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And we just read in Ephesians chapter 2 that he is rich in mercy. He's not lacking in that department. He's rich in mercy and grace and he wants to change your life. And for Christians here this morning, maybe your prayer in our time of invitation is, Lord, help me turn loose of the wrong rope. I've realized that I'm clinging to the wrong rope and I want to drop it. Or I realize I'm going through life without a rope and I want you to be the rope that I cling to. Maybe you cry out to him this morning and ask him to be that for you. Would you bow your heads with me where you sit and pray? My invitation as we bow our heads this morning. First, if you don't know Jesus, if if what we talked about this morning was maybe for you, kind of like Saul, the scales fall off and, and you, you've seen Jesus now for who He is. 
and your heart is just about to burst out of your chest. You know that you're called to live for Him. You know that He's calling you to worship Him and to follow Him. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do, to do this, to just pray and cry out to God right where you sit. Now, there are no magic words for this, but Scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouths, confess Jesus, you are Lord, and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, believe He did what He said He did, He's faithful and just, and He'll forgive you. Would you pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, I confess that you are Lord. And I ask you to save me and change my life and be my vision. In just a few moments when we conclude our service, if you prayed that prayer, if you cried out to Jesus, I would encourage you, your next step would be to go to the Red Room. That is where we have, have volunteers to meet with you, to talk about your decision, to help you follow, take the next step in your walk with the Lord. So please do that. And Christian, as we close again, would you pray and, and ask Jesus, help me, Jesus, to worship you and you alone and show me where I'm not. Help me cling to you and you alone. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you Thank You that You didn't leave us in our hopeless state, separated from You. God, we did not deserve You coming and intervening and going to the cross and taking our, our punishment. But God, we are so thankful that You did. God, for those who have cried out to You for salvation today, Lord, we rejoice. And I pray, God, that You would walk with them every day moving forward. And for all believers here this morning, God, give us vision to see You clearly and then to see the world the way You do so that we live a life that proclaims Your name and not our own. Thank You, Jesus. We love You. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. Let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app and consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast. Lastly, if you would like to support what God is doing through this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying you have a great week and hope to see you again soon.